without your health, you have nothing else. Like when you're sick, that is your, you know, the joke is that we we have 99 problems. When you're sick, you have one problem. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 233 of the Biohacker Babes. My name is Lauren and I'm tuning in today from Maryland, not New York. And I'm joined by my co-host and sister Renee Bells in Las Vegas. Welcome Renee. Hello. Hello. It is just babes today. Just her and I, she and me, the two of us. Just sisters. And before we jump in, a quick shout out. We recently came across the Finding Genius podcast. It's a show that seeks out the most gifted medical researchers, innovators, and practitioners in the world who are working on the cutting edge of medicine and who are advancing our understanding of diseases and medical conditions. Scientists whose work often remains undiscovered. The goal of of the Finding Genius podcast is to find the most powerful insights and get them into the hands of the people who need them most and in a way that is easy to understand and apply. They've interviewed over 3,500 of these such geniuses to date. If you are interested in hearing more, you can check out the Finding Genius podcast, which we will link to in the show notes. They just really resonated with us. You know, their mission is very similar and they are on a quest to empower the people just as us. And we wanted to share more resources for you in podcast land if you're interested. Great. And they're great supporters of our podcast. So awesome shout out. Thank you guys. Community support. Okay. Now right. getting to the episode. Ooh. All right. This is a personal one today. We didn't know we were going to record this until life happened last week. And when this comes out, it will be a few weeks post. But Renee is going to share a little bit about a trip to the hospital that Ryan took, which was right before, like literally right before my trip to the hospital. So we're going to talk about hospital visits today. Yeah. What a uh, story sharing. (laughs) Yeah. What a strange, strange time for a, you know, a family that never goes to the hospital. You know, I was joking that. When you were in the hospital, I said, you know, I don't think my sister's been to the hospital since uh, the day she was born. So this is a weird, <laughs> maybe you've yeah. been for some, you know, random things, but my point is it's no. a, not as a patient. I've been as a visitor. visiting. Okay. As a visitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So my trip, I'll share this. Um, so yeah, my husband, Ryan, who I talk about a lot on the show, who's very healthy. He woke up with stomach pain on a Wednesday morning and kind of waited it out throughout the day. You know, I mean, we all kind of have stomach things that come and go. Maybe I ate something weird. Maybe I didn't drink enough water or whatever. So we're kind of doing all the biohacks. And by seven o'clock, he's like, Mm-mm, nothing is budging and it's it's getting uncomfortable. Like I, I have to lay down. I can't even sit in a chair. And I'm like, well, tell me more. Like where exactly is the pain? He's like, you know, it's kind of around my belly button, but it's kind of radiating down here. And he points to lower right. And my immediate thought is like, 
not your stomach. This is not good. This is not good. And um, Lauren, I don't know if you know this, but when I was a kid, when we were kids, I was terrified of getting appendicitis. I kind of remember that. Like, I think I saw too many movies of people having their appendix rupture and being rushed to the hospital and it being this whole thing. And I remember as a kid, anytime I got a stomach ache, I'd be like, this is it. This is it. My appendix is coming out. And well, Were we I watching still- different movies or I just wasn't freaked out? <laughs> I don't know why it freaked me out so much, but, and I always like thought like, oh my God, does everyone get their appendix out at some point in their life? This is so awful. I don't want to do this. And It's like, it's not that big of a deal, but I still have my appendix today. Thank goodness. But anyways, Ryan thinks that my fear of appendicitis is maybe what made us go to the hospital sooner than later. So maybe it was all meant to be. Oh, life-saving. Life-saving. So anyways, we, you know, and I'm texting you, mom and dad, like, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? Should we go to urgent care or whatever? We end up going to urgent care. They, They push around. They're like, um, it's either your gallbladder or your appendix. You need to go to the ER right now. And I'm like, well, where should we go? I don't, he's like, well, go to your hospital. I'm like, I, I don't even know where there are hospitals in Vegas. He's like, oh, did you just move here? I'm like, well, five years ago, but I don't know. I don't even know where the hospitals are. And he's like, okay, Isn't well. Isn't that a hospital right by your house? Yeah, but I, I don't think they, I don't even, can you go there for like ER stuff? I don't know if that's like a surgical, like this is how little I know about yeah, same. Western Can medicine. you just knock on the door, open it, walk through? I don't know. Yeah, this is like specific. How does this work? So anyways, he sent us to a hospital about 10 minutes away. He said the, the care is really good there. I would recommend going there. Great. So we go in. The The nurses are immediately thinking, it sounds like appendicitis, but, you know, we got to do the labs, uh, blood test. That came back immediately, like something major active infection going on. White blood cell count low. All, all of his markers are way off. And then they had to do the CT scan. That took another hour to get the results. So here we are like four hours into the whole thing. And they're like, okay, it's appendicitis. Appendix has to come out. And um, this is where the the craziness starts is the lack of communication, which I know you're going to share too. It's just, it took so long from like, yeah, from like, we know his appendix has to come out to like, when can we meet the surgeon? When can we schedule the surgery? Can he eat? He's starving. It's now 10 o'clock at night. He's starving. He's thirsty. And when was the last time that he ate? He had barely eaten all day. I think eating. um I think we had breakfast around 10 a.m. And then dinner at six, he had a couple bites, but he was afraid to eat. So by 10 o'clock, he's hungry. But you know, the nurses are like, don't eat, don't eat. Surgery could be any time now. But then the other nurse is like, surgery won't be to they'll be till tomorrow. So I'm like, can he eat then? And anyways, no food, no water. They hook him up to IVs and um oh, we're just goodness. sitting, huh? It sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no beds available because the hospital's full, which is, I mean, a huge issue. So we're sitting in like kind of this waiting area in these really uncomfortable chairs with this horrific blue light above us, and the hours are just ticking by. It's now one one in the morning. I said, obviously, we're going to be sleeping in these chairs. I'm going to run home, feed the cats, get some biohacks, you know, eye mask, neck pillow. Uh, blue light blockers, water for me because it was like there was a vending machine for water bottles that only took cash. I'm like, this is my only option, so I had to go home and get water. Crazy, and mm-hmm. um, so I came back and we slept, slept in quotes, I would say, for a couple hours in the waiting area, and then finally at 4:30 in the morning, they took him back to a bed in a hallway 
couldn't even get him a room. So there was nowhere for me to sit. So I went home and slept for two hours, went back. He had surgery. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like the start of, of that. But it's interesting, like telling people, oh, he had his appendix out, the, the different responses. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I had mine out. Like, it was really scary. And then other people are like, oh, did you schedule to have that out? I was like, no, no, this was like an emergency thing. It didn't, we didn't schedule this like months in advance to get his appendix out. Just interesting to hear. So what I don't even know, can you have a chronic appendix issue that would not be life threatening, like you could live with? Is there such thing as a little bit of appendix pain? So if you think about it, so appendicitis, so there's an active infection. I think that maybe, maybe, I don't quote me on this, that you could take an antibiotic and wipe that out. Maybe that's possible. Maybe you could actually reverse appendicitis. Or I don't know, once it crosses a certain point, it's like, no, there's no saving the appendix. It's got to come out. But Western medicine also thinks the appendix is not needed. So I don't think they're like, let's believe. Yeah. Let's do what we can to save the appendix. No, it's like, meh, we don't need that organ. We're just going to take it out. Not a big deal. So, and I know you did some research on that. Well, I just always have a hard time believing that anything that we have evolved to have in the human body would not be necessary. Like we are highly evolved, resilient, adaptable beings. And I think that maybe Darwin would have caught on to something being (laughs) extraneous or just, it's, it's, just hard for me to believe. Yeah. And we do know the appendix provides some value. I don't think it is essential um, like many other organs, but the appendix does hold on to part of your microbiome. It holds on to good bacteria. So if you have an acute period of diarrhea or you wipe out your gut flora with antibiotics, the appendix usually holds the reserve of good bacteria. So then we can replenish more quickly. So without that little tiny appendix holding on to that, I suppose that the risk is you could have a heightened immune response or abnormal immune response. Potentially, maybe you get sick more often. I know that's not really maybe a risk for Ryan. He rarely gets sick. He's superhuman in that way, but could be a risk for some people that do get sick often. So the gut microbiome holding the good bacteria, the immune component is is what it evolved to do. But it's a small organ. Many people get them taken out and never have any issue. Yeah. It yeah. Kind of goes it is in the, ton- the tonsil removal category. Which, again, I think tonsils are really important for the immune but system. If, yeah. But if you have a thriving, strong immune system, and I think there's a lot that goes into what that means, a strong, resilient immune system, maybe some people would be more at risk. I know plenty of people that have had their tonsils out. They get sick all the time. It's like, oh, maybe tonsils. Mom had her tonsils out. She doesn't, she doesn't really get sick. Yeah, that's true. I mean, very bio-individual. And so I don't know. We'll keep an eye on Ryan's immune system and see if anything changes. But in the meantime, we are trying to biohack just the fact that he had surgery. Uh, yeah. So the appendix, fun fact, is the size of your pinky. I learned that. Uh, our cousin... <laughs> Actually, she was telling me that she had her appendix out in her 30s. And by the time she got to the hospital, her appendix was the size of a banana. So that's what wow. happens when it gets infected. It gets enlarged and mm-hmm. then it can rupture. Ryan's didn't rupture. Obviously, we caught it very early on. A lot of antibiotics, you know, the second they knew it was appendicitis, it was IV antibiotics. Post-surgery, mm-hmm. here's five days of antibiotics. So um, now he's done the antibiotics. So we're doing everything we can to heal his gut. You know, good probiotics, postbiotics. Uh, We're using the AMP coil for the pain. We're using some red and infrared light to heal the incisions. So there's three incisions from his belly button and then down. 
I'm proud of him. He really didn't use any pain meds. He was he pushed through. And I I was even telling him, I'm like, if you're in a lot of pain, sometimes you do want to take a painkiller because just the stress on your body of being so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's yeah. not like you're masking a pain like oh, I have knee pain and I want to go for a run. I'm just going to mask the pain. It's not that. It's like, we know why you're in pain and this is a problem. Um, Yeah, for emotional wellness. Emotional wellness. Yeah, yeah. They gave him opiates as an option. Yeah, Yeah. oxy. I can understand not wanting to take that. Yeah, I think he took it one time and then pretty quickly went down to like an ibuprofen 500 and then pretty quickly just nothing. Wow. Yeah. Superhuman. Yeah. Wild. Trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to share. I guess just uh oh, and then I call yesterday because they're saying, you know, uh, we need to see him back in 10 days after surgery for follow-up. And so I call yesterday, I say, Hey, it's been seven days. Wanted to schedule that follow-up because I haven't heard from you all. And she's like, Oh, our next opening is in three weeks. Oh my god. I'm like, what? So you should schedule it before he even felt the appendix pain. Yeah. That makes sense. I was like, this is not oh, okay. No. And I was like, can you, you need to figure something out. And she did. And she got us in next week. It's just like, what? Wow. There's got to at least be a televisit something. Can you talk to someone for 15 minutes? I think if you have a problem, you could talk to a nurse. But mm-hmm. anyways, we got him in for next week for a follow-up. So hopefully everything is um, easy peasy from there. Okay. But, uh, and how's his yeah. state of mind and physical body doing? Yeah, he's doing yeah. well. I think I think we're both still in shock that he literally had an organ removed last week. <laughs> like it just happened so fast. And and again, someone that's so healthy and like the nurse was doing his intake and was like, okay, so um health history, what diagnoses do you have? None. None? None. Okay, what medications are you on? None. Not n- no medications, like no prescription medications. I'm like, yes, I speak English. None. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. That that's so shocking to them. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. She like was like, what? What? But that's the weird thing about appendicitis. It's it, it can happen to a really healthy person out of nowhere. Versus like everyone else in the waiting yeah. room. I hate to say it, but everyone in there looked so sick. The patients they had and it coming. Yeah. But the spouses and the friends with the sick people looked not well either. And like there's vending machines Mm. with junk food there. Like I said, you couldn't even get water. Um, Let's start with water. Let's start with hydration. Yeah. Like a water filtration station for people to stay Mm -hmm. hydrated. Just that. Yeah. If airports can do it, hospitals can do it. Yeah. 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 I don't really see an excuse there. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting. I will say it can happen to happen to a healthy person. Yeah. I will say the staff at the hospital was extremely caring and nice and compassionate. I will give them that. They weren't communicating with each other, but when they did come and see us every few hours, they were very, very nice. So good. Yes. Kudos to that. I mostly had that experience, not completely across the board. Okay. Okay. So the only thing that I have learned about the appendix is that potentially if you don't get enough dietary fiber, you know, there's, you know, the great debate with fiber, obviously fiber is what feeds our short chain fatty acids and can be really essential to metabolic health. But I think there's still a lot of people that think you can survive without fiber. But what I came across is that the appendix does not get adequate fiber. That could be a reason for things getting stuck in there and then causing inflammation. Don't know if that was Ryan's case, I'd be interested Possible. to just keep looking and seeing like, why, why did this happen? Maybe there's yeah. no answer to the why, but 
Mm. Interesting. To I think we can always get more fiber, to be honest. I, I'm on the fiber team. So. Fiber team. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad yeah. that Ryan is feeling better and uh, I'm a one upper. Yeah. So I had to do more than him. I had to be yeah. a longer than him. I yeah. heard he wasn't feeling well. And I was like, I'll show him. Yeah. I raise your one night in the hospital to yeah. six nights or well, it's so wild because I wasn't yeah. feeling well starting on Tuesday. And this was Wednesday. When did Ryan not start? Not feeling he went well? in. He went in Wednesday, had the surgery Thursday. And then actually Thursday afternoon, we got him out of there. And they said they were like, you know, usually we keep you one more night to monitor pain meds, all that. And Ryan's like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> and they were yeah, like, if you're feeling up for it, you can go home. We'll sign off on Good. it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So it was Wednesday yeah, so, night that you went into the hospital with him. Yep. Okay. I'm trying to remember from my brain because I wasn't feeling well starting Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Wednesday and night I Thursday wasn't feeling you went well. In. And I was not, I was ignoring my phone at night because I wasn't feeling well. And I woke up to 100 messages from you, Ryan, mom, dad, that Ryan was in the hospital. I was like, Oh no, I missed everything because I wasn't feeling well. And I told, I completely missed the whole initiation story progress. I was like yeah. scrolling up, trying to catch up, but, um, sorry. Well, you all, you all were also on East coast time. So I'm over here at two in the morning Pacific sending updates, knowing that no one is seeing my updates and just sending them. So when you wake up, you'll yeah. get them. No, yeah. I was so grateful and I felt terrible. And then I was like, Hey, heads up. I'm not feeling so good. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So yeah. Pulled the pulled the Penelope and off I went. Yeah. So Thursday, what instigated you? You initially went to urgent care. It was your first stop. Well, to go to the beginning of the story, Tuesday. No, I really should back up fully. Give full context. Okay. January has not been a great month for either stress or sleep. There has been a lot of stress. I haven't been sleeping well. There has been this thud in my apartment that I think has to do <sighs> with the the heating air ducts and the building has kind of investigated and they've brought in different people to fix, adjust things, but it has been unresolved and we're the only apartment that can hear it because I think it's in the basement right next to our apartment. So our apartment is two levels and in the bottom floor, you can hear it really loudly. And then upstairs in the living room, you can hear it moderately. And in the bedroom, is probably the lightest, but you can still hear it. And I'm a very light sleeper and I have very good hearing. Oof. And so I have not been sleeping because this thud happens at a regular cadence. And so picture this, I'm, I, my head is on the pillow at night trying to fall asleep and I'm like getting sleepy, getting sleepy, getting sleepy. I have to fall asleep. Thud, wake up. Um, heart's torture. racing, heart's racing. Okay. Torture. okay. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. Thud, wake up on repeat. So this has been my January of just constant disruptions to my sleep, like pleading with the building. Can you please address this? And it's still to this day unresolved. This has been, it's been a month at least. Then throw in there, Rudy, my dog has been sick. There was a full week where he was vomiting, diarrhea. We were up like all night long for a solid week, taking him out through the night. So even more disrupted sleep when he was sick. And, you know, there's just been a handful of other stressors because we're thinking about moving and there's just been a lot of unknowns for the future. So in general, just like 
big, uh, big box around January being a very stressful month. So I think that set the stage for really anything to just pop the lid off and tip my bucket over. But yeah. so fast forward to Tuesday, I I woke up and I had a very early client, 7.30. So I woke up at 6.30 and definitely felt sleep deprived and a little rundown. And I decided that I was going to go to the gym rather than take a nap. Cause I thought like, Oh, I don't feel that bad. I feel like kind of somewhere in the gray zone where maybe if I do like a very light workout, cause it was the very end of my cycle. If I do a very light workout, I'm not going to push myself like really truly. I'm going to be very easy that it would lift my energy. Hmm. And I temporarily felt better. And then I went to meet Molly and Katie, Molly Eastman and Katie Moore at Whole Foods and we hung out. And then I had quite a busy day after that. So there was kind of no stopping for the rest of the day. And then I got to the evening, I finished my glucose group coaching and I'd eaten dinner before that. So it was a couple hours after I ate, started having really intense lower abdominal pain, ran to the bathroom. I was in the bathroom for a while and felt dizzy and kind of nauseous. There was like a cold, cold sweat happening. And this has never happened before. I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> I don't know what this is. But, um, you know, finally got out of the bathroom, got in the shower and I would say within two hours, the pain went away, went to sleep. The next day GI stuff was better, but my heart was racing all day long. I have a very low resting heart rate and very kind of in tune to that. And I was like, this is not normal. Like I'm sitting here doing nothing and it's at 100. But oh no GI complaints that day. It just felt really like my body had taken a beating. Mm-hmm. And I, I assumed that it was just kind of left over from having the GI distress. So Wednesday night, go to sleep, wake up Thursday, didn't sleep again because the thud was worse than ever. Did not sleep at all. I'm like, oh God, the worst thing that could happen right now is for me to not sleep. And I didn't sleep. Thursday yeah. morning, I had routine blood work scheduled. It was already scheduled and I was like, oh, oh, this I didn't will know be that. interesting. I'm not feeling well. I w- I'm dying to get my lab work done when I'm not feeling well because I've never had lab work not feeling well. I was like, oh, this will be revealing. So went to get my labs. I felt terrible. I felt like I was like trudging through um, the snow to get there. There was no snow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is so hard to walk five blocks, got my blood work. And then went about the day feeling run down Thursday evening, like clockwork, the same thing happened again, Tuesday night, Uh, not not exactly in the same order. So I met my friend, Nikki, we went to dinner. I told him, I'm not really feeling well, but I'll sit with you. I don't have an appetite, but I'll sit with you while you're eating, sitting at the table. He's talking, the room closes in on me and I pass out at the table. Everything goes black. Next thing you know, he's sitting in front of me, trying to wake me up. The table next to us is calling 911. I come to, and I'm please don't call 911. Like I'm fine. And then the GI distress came back. So I was in the bathroom, same thing, really dizzy, kind of cold sweats. Nikki got me home. I got in the shower. I laid down for a little bit. And then same thing, like within two hours, I was like feeling kind of better, but Mm. really depleted. Nikki was like, we're going to urgent care. Got to urgent care. They sat me in the exam table, took my vitals, took my glucose. They said it was 203, 203. Oh, wow. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in a chair on the other side of the room. Didn't know how I got there. I had passed out again. You didn't have a CGM on last week, right? I did. You did. Okay. Yeah, I had a CGM. My CGM never clocked 203. It clocked 170. And I'm not mm, to- totally yeah. sure about the discrepancy because I thought it was calibrated. But um, 
who knows? It was high. It was definitely high. So interesting. Like my body was like mobilizing resources. It, it recognized stress. So it was like glucose, glucose into your bloodstream, save, save your life. Yeah. I passed out, ended up on the other side of the room, kind of came to, and then immediately passed out again. They called the ambulance and off I went to the ER, got there. They did labs and immediately it's funny because I have the Mount Sinai app. So my labs pushed to my app right away and I can read labs. So before they even came to me, I was like, oh shit, I'm anemic. And they came over and they were like, some bad news. You're anemic. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What yeah. are we going to do? I did this. I have to say, I did the same thing for Ryan's. It popped up on his phone like 30 minutes before the nurse came out. And I was like, you have an infection. I already know you have an infection. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really change the course, but at least it's not shocking when they open their mouths. Yeah. So they said, we have to do an immediate blood transfusion. Your iron is on the floor. Your hemoglobin is on the floor. So like basically nothing in your body. Of course you passed out. You're severely anemic blood transfusion immediately. Now we get into the conversation about what, what is immediacy at the hospital? Because that transfusion didn't start for 14 hours, 14 hours later, they finally started the transfusion. Luckily they moved me into a private room. I was very lucky. This is actually the highlight of my time in the hospital that I had a private room because as you experience, most people are just on beds in the hallways. It's very sad. I'm not sure how I got so lucky, but I did. So I'm at least in a private room where I had the best chance of sleeping, but, um, as we were talking about earlier, sleep is not a priority at the hospital. So I kind of want to pause now and talk about all my gripes about the hospital. What's up, biohackers? Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans are not. And that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 500 biochemical reactions in your body and probably many, many more. So today we want to talk to you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate that you are magnesium deficient. Listen carefully because there's going to be a special offer happening at the end, but here's the list. Are you irritable or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? Do you have high blood pressure? Are you constipated sometimes? There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency, but really these are the top and most common ones we see today. Now, what most people don't know is you can't just run to the store and grab any magnesium supplement off the shelf because a lot of them actually don't work. They're using really cheap magnesium, and then your body can't even absorb it. And that's why we really like recommending Magnesium Breakthrough. It's full-spectrum magnesium. It has seven unique forms of magnesium in it, and then your body can actually use those and absorb them. And what's really cool about bioptimizers in general, if you don't like the supplements, you can get a full refund, no questions asked. They're so confident behind all of their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. So... If you're concerned about your magnesium levels and you want to give it a try, head over to bioptimizers.com slash biohackerbabes. I'll put that in the show notes too, so it's easy to find. And then use promo code at checkout, biohackerbabes10. That will get you a discount. Plus, if you act fast before they run out, they are offering two travel size bottles of the magnesium breakthrough with your order. All right, so bioptimizers.com slash biohackerbabes. All right, let's get back to the show. Sleep is not a concern at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not super surprised because we know that in traditional medicine, it's not a part of doctor's education and training to learn about nutrition. And so I wouldn't expect them to know about circadian rhythm. And nurses and techs and PAs and doctors have to work 
night shifts. That's part of their work. And so I think there's a little bit of um, ignorance about that, but they don't try at all to help you sleep. And sleep is the number one, number one thing for healing. And I understand they have to come in and do vitals and give medication and check on you. And they have to turn on the lights because they're working and they need their brains to be in blue light to work. But there's just like this blatant disregard for the importance of sleep. I think there's another way to do it. Like my experience was that the nurses would just like bust through the door, really like not even trying to be delicate or quiet, flip on the lights, just everything is over the top dramatic. I'm like, are you trying to do this is what it felt like. I mean, it's their daytime. It's their it's daytime. Their daytime. So thinking otherwise, yeah. It's their daytime. But I think if they had the education and training around the importance, I think we could definitely approach it differently. It could it could be different and you could still be, you know, wake up to get your vitals, wake up to get your medication, and hopefully you can just ease back into sleep. But this stress response of being awakened in such a dramatic fashion is really so anti-healing. Yeah. I think even just if they could install some kind of circadian lighting system. Just the yeah. lighting alone could be huge. Yeah. I mean, so they all roll in their computer monitors, like the stand, they, uh, like the vitals machines all have lighting on them. So maybe they don't even need the overhead light. I guess I would want to ask a nurse tech or PA, like what is really necessary? Do you need the overhead lighting? Can you see on the monitor? I had one nurse that I swear she was a cat. I was like, do you need to, she was the only one that didn't turn the lights on. I'm like, Are you, do you need the lights? She's like, come on. She was like, no, girl, I can see. She gave me an IV. She was doing, she put a needle in my vein in the dark. I was like, oh, so it's possible. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah, she was very confident. Um, I was like, you're the one that should be turning on the lights, but somehow you're the only one not turning on the lights. Yeah, so lighting is an issue. And I was not offered water or nutrients for almost 36 hours. And you would think that someone coming in with anemia that had syncope three times in a row, that that would be a priority. And they said that the transfusion was necessary and immediate and it took 14 hours. So you would think they would bring me some kind of food or water and nothing. Did you have nothing, IV fluids? Nothing. They gave me sodium chloride, which is basically just enough fluid to keep my veins open. It's not hydrating. Yeah. It's not minerals, certainly not a IV cocktail. I know that's more expensive, but it, it bare minimum. So they didn't care that I was not getting any nutrients or water for a very long time. Okay, so the transfusion finally started 14 hours later because that was the life-saving thing. Yes, yeah, like much later. And <laughs> then they wanted to do some GI tests. They wanted to do an endoscopy at least and maybe a colonoscopy. But they started the transfusion so grossly late that they had to wait for the transfusion to be done. And by the time it was going to be done, endoscopy was going to be closed. Business hours, 5 p.m. on a Friday. I didn't know that the endoscopy team works uh, 9 to 5, Monday Me to Friday. Either. Me either. Me That's either. so strange. So they said, you're going to have to wait till Monday. So like when I first got there, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be like four hours in this hospital. I spent 132 hours in that hospital. But who's counting? Yeah, not counting. Um, okay. So yeah. I don't want to just blab on forever, but like a lot of gross mistakes, they had ordered me an antibiotic. One of the doctors did. And then 24 hours came later and was like, you're feeling better from the antibiotic. Right. And I was like, no one ever gave me an antibiotic. And she was like, Oh, uh, gosh, um, 
came and I'll look into that. Maybe, you know, maybe it was okay that you didn't get that antibiotic. I'm like, okay, writing that shit down. Again, like no water, no nutrients. My call button wasn't working and I brought it to their attention. They were like, sorry. They didn't care. They don't want to fix it. At one point I got up to stand in my doorway to ask for help. And after 10 minutes, no one even looked at me. People were walking by. So I was like, I'm going to shout out. I said, excuse me. Um, I need, I need some help. And someone looked up, one person looked up from the desk, annoyed and said, do you need something? I'm not dramatizing this. She said, do you need something? And I said, yeah, like I'm, I'm in the ER. I'm I'm a patient doorway. I have a gown on like, yeah, I need help. She looks down without saying anything typing. And then she finally looks back up and she said, I'll, I'll try to find your nurse. It's like a bad restaurant when you're like, can I, it's a bad restaurant and all the servers just walk by your table because you're, they're, they're not your server. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's healthcare. I'm like, I, I'm pretty, um, self-reliant. I I could take care of myself. And I had visitors. Jeremy was there. Mom and dad came up and thank God, because I wouldn't have had any water. I would have been more anemic and more dehydrated if they weren't there to bring me provisions. But if I really, truly needed something, I don't know what would have happened. No one would have ever known. So they finally got the transfusion hooked up and I have an IV fluid. And then they're like, we need a stool sample. Sorry, this is TMI for everybody, but they were like, you need a stool sample. And at this point, when I was ready, there was no one visiting me. Jeremy, mom and dad, they were gone. So, and and they couldn't find a pole for my bags, the transfusion and the IV. So they said, if you have to go to the bathroom, you're going to have to unhook both of the bags and hold them and go to the bathroom. So I have to unhook both bags, unhook my finger heart rate monitor waddle with my massive gown that's just blowing in the wind it's so big and the stool sample and try to hold all of this in the bathroom by myself and provide a stool sample you could pick you know let you just imagine that for a second yeah Yeah. Uh uh-huh I could see that yeah so um I'll, I'll try to wrap this up but basically every time a doctor came in I had to tell the story over from the very beginning, because no one talks. And at one point I thought, oh, this is really genius. You have more minds on the case if everyone gets a fresh story, right? Start from the beginning, they're all going to talk and they're all going to come up with this genius answer solution. Well, no, I come to find out they don't all talk because I had one doctor insisting that I eat. And then I had the other doctor saying, no, she's not allowed to eat. So no food. And Jeremy said, can she please have a snack? And they're like, no, she's not allowed to eat. It's like, can we agree just on nutrients? Again, remember I'm anemic. I had one male nurse that barely spoke English. I couldn't understand him. He couldn't understand me twice in changing my IV. He got blood everywhere, all over my arm, all over the bed. At one point, he asked me to get up and stand in the corner so he could change the sheets. What I wanted to say was, hey, remember I came in here with orthostatic hypotension? I was passing out and I'm anemic. You really think it's okay for me to go stand in the corner? I I did it and I like held onto the wall, but really? Gosh, what else messed up? So I did the stool sample. They didn't pick it up for 24 hours. Hmm. And then they needed to do another stool sample because they were going to decide if they're going to do the colonoscopy. Never did another stool sample because I didn't have to go. And they just completely forgot about it and decided to do the colonoscopy anyways, even though they said, if there's any chance there's an infection, we can't do the colonoscopy. They just completely forgot about that and ordered the colonoscopy. Hmm. I can see clearly with my glasses on. Ooh, 
didn't know I was recording. Okay, hey, biohackers. Are you spending long hours in front of screens and feeling the strain in your eyes or struggling with poor sleep? Well, we've got a game changer for you. Do-do-do-do, introducing Filter Optics, the ultimate solution to combat the negative effects of blue light. In today's digital age, we are surrounded by screens from our computers to phones, TVs, and ambient lighting. Did you know that overexposure to artificial blue light has been linked to various health issues such as depression, anxiety, cancer, diabetes, and heart disease? It is time to take control of our well-being with this easy, oh so easy to implement biohack. Filter Optics, the premium blue light blocking glasses designed to remove eye strain, lower stress, and improve our sleep quality. These glasses aren't just a fashion statement, though they look so, so cool. They're a science-based solution to the problems caused by prolonged exposure to blue light. What sets Filter Optics apart is that they come in four different lenses, each scientifically formulated and lab-tested for optimal blue light blocking. You can choose from clear, yellow, orange, and red lenses tailored to meet your specific needs and preferences. And we do not know another company offering this many choices. The clear lens is perfect for daytime use, offering subtle protection without altering your color perception. The yellow lens enhances contrast and reduces eye strain, making it really ideal for those long work hours. The orange lens is your go-to for the evening, helping to unwind and prepare for a restful night's sleep. And of course, our red lens is the ultimate sleep aid, blocking the most disruptive wavelengths of blue light right before you go to sleep. Say goodbye to digital eye fatigue and hello to improved health and wellness. Filter Optics is not just a pair of glasses, but a true investment in your long-term health, productivity, and general superhumanness. If these sound like the glasses you have been waiting for, head over to filteroptics.com backslash biohackerbabes and use discount code biohackerbabes to save 15% on your order. That is filteroptics with an X dot com backslash biohackerbabes and use discount code biohackerbabes to save 15%. We are on a mission to normalize blue light blocking glasses everywhere we go, and we hope you'll join us. All right, biohackers, let's get back to the show. So, okay, to jump in, something interesting. I it both of us had experiences where there was a huge lack of communication. Now, mm-hmm. with technology today, you know, all the nurses have like the little carts, they have the little iPad things. And actually it should fun be instant. It should be instant. And fun fact, actually, Ryan, uh, one of the things he sells is he sells that technology piece to hospitals. Oh, um, so yeah. when the nurses would come in, he was like eyeing it like, Oh, is that, is that my equipment? You know, it wasn't, yeah. but it was the competitor, I guess. But anyway, so you would think with well the technology, challenged. yeah, they would, yeah, instantly know everything that's going on. Any doctor, any nurse in that hospital could log in and see what's happening with that patient. It seems like we've gone the other direction. I almost mm-hmm. wonder if back in the day when they had like the paper chart on the wall and they would yeah. come in, they would read it and put it back. It's like, maybe that was better. Maybe the technology maybe. has made people lazy. I don't know. Well, I think everyone's just overwhelmed. I mean, I'm looking at my computer screen. How many tabs do I have open? It's very difficult to keep things organized. We're just, it's That's true. an overwhelming amount of data. But I think- and Understaffed. The, They're understaffed. That's the huge. big problem is that they are understaffed. And I had several nurses kind of clench their teeth and be like, get out of here. Like it's, it's a shit show and they couldn't, say they were sorry, but you could just feel it in their eyes. They were like, there's nothing we can do. Like, it's really bad. It's really bad yeah. here. 
understaffed yet I saw at least 17 doctors. So like there's people there getting paid. Long story short, they eventually transferred me to the hospital mid colonoscopy prep, which just felt like a big old practical joke. They were like, start drinking this stuff. I was like, great, got a private bathroom. And then they were like, nope, we're transferring you to a room with three other people in one bathroom. To a college dorm. To a college dorm. (laughs) And this is where the sleep really went downhill because with four people in a room and they're coming in every 30 minutes to check on one of the four of us. So it basically was every 15 minutes all night long. Lights on, loud, banging, talking, uh, unbelievable disruption to sleep. So at this point, I'm begging to be out of there because they already messed up. I was supposed to be out Friday night, but they messed up transfusion, couldn't do the endoscopy, business hours, blah, blah, blah. Finally do the procedure Monday. And then the GI doctor says, I'm going to come up to your room, review the results, and you're going to get out of here. Well, I wait hours, hours, no one, no one. Finally, at 6 p.m., I like charge down to the desk. I'm like, tell me something. And they say, um, you have to do an echocardiogram. You have to stay another night. I was like, we're at the GI doctor. They're like, I, we don't know. He quit. I, he just quit. Yeah, he was tired. He was hungry. He wanted to go home. Eh, you know, don't blame him. Can't eat hospital food. So um, against my will, I stayed one more night. In the morning, a new doctor came in. I was like, who are you? Started from the very beginning, asked all the questions. She was like, well, let me listen to your heart. Oh, your heart's great. You don't need an echocardiogram. Okay, okay I'm going to jump in here again. Maybe this is a win for AI. I wonder if AI, when AI is fully into the hospital systems, if that would help eliminate some of this, like, oh, you need this. No, you don't. You need this. No, you don't. You know what I mean? Like if AI can be looking at all your stuff and saying, oh, no, she does need the the echo or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. Just a thought. Yeah, potentially. Okay, so la 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 la. I finally get out Tuesday. I never had the echocardiogram because they disappeared again. They went to lunch and I was like, oh, please discharge me. And they did. They understood. They were like, you can go home. So, what do I think happened? So, I've never had anemia. I've never been diagnosed with that. Like, I don't have heavy periods. I eat a lot of meat. No reason for this, no seeming reason for this sudden severe anemia. What I think and what I'm waiting for is that they did a biopsy for my endoscopy, which takes five days. Uh, I should get results to see if there's an infection. I am guessing that there is some sort of infection. I'm assuming that it's H. pylori. That's something that I've had before and then treated with supplements and it went away. But we do know that H. pylori is pretty infamous for being difficult to eradicate and it Mm -hmm. circulates between can circulate between family members. It's passed through saliva and um, most likely cycled to Jeremy and then maybe back to me, or maybe I never really fully got rid of it. And what I think is that infection probably popped up and um, with any, sorry, with H. pylori, which is, it's basically a bacterium that sits on your stomach lining, and it can cause an ulcer. So they did find a small peptic ulcer from my endoscopy. So I'm just working backwards, assuming this infection is causing this ulcer. Funny enough, I never had any stomach pain, none. And no signs of low energy, despite my sleep deprivation. You know, I like felt tired, but not like real fatigue. Fatigue, yeah. You know, like there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. 
So my best guess at this point, and I feel like I have to put the pieces together because they basically just sent me home and said, take this PPI for your ulcer and take a massive amount of iron, which we can get into. I disagree with. Mm. I do think it's important acutely, but that's not the solution. Um, I'm waiting for the biopsy so that I can potentially treat this infection. But if there is H. pylori and Considering all other factors, I think stress and the sleep deprivation set the stage for there to be a single trigger. And that's really what, you know, totally collapsed the system. But I think potentially I had been losing blood and nutrients since the last time I did my labs. Because the last time I did my labs in August, everything looked fine. And so what happened between August and February 1 H. pylori, growing this ulcer, and then just shower my body with stress. And all it took was, you know, one one day, one misstep, and everything kind of came crashing down. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in, in, the, in that time range, wedding stress, holiday mm. stress, and then not yeah. sleeping, the thud in your apartment. Yeah, so many things. So, yeah. um, and I don't understand, would, is, would the H. pylori be enough of an explanation for the peptic ulcer and the anemia? Yeah, I I don't know. So there's a lot of other things that could cause anemia. And I kind of have my list of investigative work to do if the biopsy comes back with nothing. Something that I am curious about in my reading of all the diagnostics about H. pylori. So the gold standard is using the biopsy to do a urea breath test and then doing histology, so like a staining and then a culture. Or mm. you can do a stool antigen test, like a GI map, which is what I've done in the past. I've never had a biopsy, but I did the stool antigen, and they're, they tend to be comparable from what I have learned. But what's interesting, I read in the literature, is that if you're taking a PPI, it's very likely for you to have a false negative when you do the biopsy. And they were feeding me this PPI the whole time. Well, actually not the whole time. They missed several doses of the PPI in my documentation. But you're really supposed to stop the PPI two weeks before you do a biopsy. So I'm waiting for these biopsy results. And I don't even know if they're going to be accurate. So I may just order a GI map on my own and see. But I don't know how the PPI would affect the GI map. But basically, I'm waiting for this gold standard test, this biopsy to show if there's an infection. If there's not an infection, then I certainly want to look into other things. Potential autoimmunity. Was there a mold exposure? We know our dad had a mold exposure. Did I get wrapped up in that event? Um, I, I do have a checklist of things that I want to look into, but I think it's most likely that the infection caused it. So I'm starting there. I'm not going to do the other steps yeah. until I have cleared for that and understand that event. But Yeah, I think it's possible considering all the stress that I could have just been very slowly losing nutrients because if you have an ulcer, your body can't absorb nutrients. So, you know, I'm taking all these supplements. Am I actually getting them into my body? Am I absorbing them? So, yeah, I think it's possible. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Anybody have more information on H. pylori that's listening? Chime in. Yeah. Gosh, I, I don't know why this is what stands out in my brain when I hear H. pylori, but do you remember when we did check level two practitioner in New York mm-hmm. 14 years ago? I Yo, remember Josh these. Rubin. Yeah, I remember these two practitioners got in an argument about H. pylori being the number one cause of ulcers. And the other guy was like, no, it's not the number one cause of ulcers. And they were like, yes, it is. No, it's not. 
<laughs> How do you remember that? Your brain, your memory is so refined. It's so good. I don't know I if don't I remember. remember anything else from that training. It was like five-day wow. training. I That stands out in my mind so much. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. So here we are, 14 Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be another infection. And um, the ulcer is just so interesting. Like, I'm not symptomatic. And my stomach hurts now since being in the hospital. My stomach did not hurt before. That mm. pain, that abdominal pain was like low, like bottom of my intestines. Now I have actual stomach pain. And I am a very psychosomatic person. Like, if you ask, is this hurting? I'm like, yeah, it does hurt. Yeah. <laughs> when it wasn't oh, yeah. hurting before. Oh, I, my appendix has been hurting for a week now, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not <laughs> oh, surprised. What is that? Oh, yeah. what is that? <laughs> so they're like, do you have heart problems? I'm like, yeah, my heart hurts. <laughs> but so it's just interesting with an ulcer, you would think pe- most people would be symptomatic. Haven't been symptomatic from an ulcer stomach perspective. None of the no classic reflux. symptoms. No reflux, no bloating. The only thing I really can report is I notice that when I eat kale, I get pain in my stomach. So I, I don't eat kale anymore. But okay, that's Dave. such a food. I know. Dave I know. Asprey. I know. I know. I don't want him to be right. But kale does not agree with me. I just can't eat it. So yeah. other than the kale and then with the anemia, every doctor was like, you're not so tired all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. So Yeah, but you do so much to biohack and optimize yeah. your health. Like if That's you true. didn't do all those things, you probably would have all those typical symptoms. Yeah. So of course now I go, wow. So I can feel so much better better, which just ties back into this mission that we're on. It's like, can we raise the ceiling on our health? Like, do you know how good you could feel? And it's interesting for me to hit this acute event, which has really made me zoom out and just look big picture and reconsider and analyze all these things. I'm like, dang, like I was just getting by and I thought that that was excellent. I can't wait to take it to the next level. Like, I'm so excited to see how much better I can feel. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's, and I even texted you this, I think maybe five days ago when you were in the hospital. I'm like, there, when you were, I think, mentally having a hard time, I said, there, there will be a silver lining in this. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. You might get a, a client soon with a lab with H. pylori on the GI map or something, and you might be able to pinpoint something differently today than you would have six months ago. And maybe you just changed that one person's life. I'm just saying that's one example of what, and then you upgrading your health. And I think you're also showing how we have to be advocates for ourselves. We have to be detectives. And again, one of the things I love about biohacking is it it is teaching you that because even if you don't want to be a practitioner, you don't want to be in this field like we are, just learning your body and learning how to tap into different things, learning how to research things, learning what labs to ask for. We all need that because the other thing that we both really saw this past week is without your health, you have nothing else. Like when you're sick, that is your, you know, the joke is that we we have 99 problems. When you're sick, you have one problem. Nothing else in life matters, right? And so, and we all deserve to be healthy. We all deserve to feel well every day. And seeing how sick these people were in the hospital, it was so sad, so sad. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. okay, now I'm rambling, but just the mission of this podcast is we want to empower all of you to be biohackers, to feel better, 
to take excellent health to the next level. Mm -hmm. Possible. It is possible. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I just wanted to comment on my mental wellness. There was a point where I was really struggling. And a lot of that was the frustration because I was getting different answers from doctors and there were mistakes and the time, just like not knowing. But a lot of it was the lighting in there. I was like, man, just hospital lighting or just not no sunshine, no, no fresh air will, will actually drive a person crazy. And I felt that very much. Like I was able to reset and thankfully had mom, dad, Jeremy, and some other friends come visit, but, um, there were definitely some dark, dark periods. And then I get a little, like, get a little conspiracy theories. Oh, they're just trying to be sick. <laughs> um, try not to go there for too long. But um, it's important. It's important that we advocate. And I do think that I will be able to help more people from this. And so I just want to go through some takeaways because um, I did a post about how I do labs very consistently throughout the year. So how could I miss this? Mm-hmm. I was trending like borderline anemic, but not enough for this acute drop. But I think that I probably could have been even more on top of that. What I regret not doing is another GI stool test. It had been at least a year and a half, maybe two years. That is something Mm. going forward. I think I'm going to continue doing on a regular basis just to make sure, because we're always telling people like, listen to your body. I feel like I'm a master at listening to my body and I did not see this coming. I didn't feel it truly. I felt that my stress was creeping up and I, I knew I needed to get a hold of that, but couldn't feel an infection if that is what it is. And we'll do an update if this is totally something different. It's just my theory at the time, but I would absolutely get a handle on my stress sooner and better. Definitely do a stool test. And what's the other thing? Can you think of something? What else else was I missing? Were you going to talk about like the dangers of the iron or something like? Yeah. So that's another thing. Like they gave me a bit, um, a high dose iron one. They never dis- discern between pernicious anemia, which is a lack of uh, being able to use your B vitamins and, and standard, whereas you just don't have enough red blood cells now acutely, like all of that was low. So it's very hard to determine, but their solution is, Oh, you're just going to get iron transfusions. You're going to take this high dose iron. I grossly disagree with that. And I've had a lot of people messaging me like, you know, about iron, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm going to take this acutely, but taking iron is usually not the issue. Um, You know, some people have too much iron. You can have hemochromatosis or you could just have too much iron exposure from your environment, your water, your cooking, your cookware. In my case, I am not absorbing and retaining enough, but the question is why? And the answer is not just take more iron. So that's my job now in conjunction with hopefully what the doctors will provide is some more clinical clues, but I'm not going to take the iron long-term. I'm going to take it acutely. I'm going to figure out why my body is not absorbing it because I eat meat. I eat heme iron. I take my supplements religiously. And so in the meantime, I am going to cycle off my HCL. I'm going to stay up on my digestive enzymes and my digestive bitters to make sure that I'm not increasing any digestive stress. I'm considering a short-term carnivore diet. Considering. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with that, but I think I might. And I'm most likely going to have to take antibiotics. Again, we'll, we'll update you if this is not the case. 
I don't like antibiotics, but I think in this case, I don't want to mess around with the H. pylori because I had it before it came back. Obviously, the supplements were not enough. Mm-hmm. I want to get rid of it. H. pylori it can be quite dangerous. It can lead to stomach cancer if you don't address it. And yeah. I'm going to make some life changes. I need to get out of my thud apartment. <laughs> and um, Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Rudy won't get sick again. And we're going to, yeah, make some adjustments to have a more supportive schedule. Okay. I'm here for it. Thank you. And I'm going to take BPC. I got a BPC gut healing supplement that I'm going to take. And um, I'm working with Blokes Wellness, Dr. JC Fulkers, who's been on the podcast. He's going to stay on top of this because he's very curious too. Oh, kind of follow the trajectory of this. And um, yeah, I just want to be transparent. I think I was pretty transparent. Um, I'll keep you updated. Yeah. I, we definitely have a great community. A lot of people have reached out to obviously to you, but to me too, saying, you know, what does she need? What, you know, does she need peptides? Does she need this? Has she thought about that or this, you know? Yeah. So it is very helpful. fortunate. It's nice to hear different things because we yeah. get so stuck in our little hallway of information. So thank you all for reaching out. It's been very helpful. Anything else that you yeah. think people are curious about? I don't think so. Probably just do an update in a couple of weeks once we know a little mm-hmm. bit more. But um, I, I appreciate you sharing your story. I think this will be maybe eye-opening for some people, but I think could be really helpful for them, whether they're struggling with a personal health thing or just frustrated with the healthcare system. Like, we hear you. We hear you. We hear you. So. Yeah. I don't know what the next steps are for advocating for better health care in the hospitals, but um, if you do I have think to go to the hospital, get your blue blockers, maybe bring a plant, bring your water, have some electrolytes, like d- definitely call on friends, ask for things because you're not going to get it there. You're not. You you have to have someone with you. I think that mm-hmm. that was the other thing with, with Ryan. Like, I mean, the number of things I was doing for him he was like, I don't, what would I do without you? I'm like, yeah. I, I can't answer that because the staff here is not doing it for you. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you do end up in the hospital, have someone to help you with those things, biohack it. But then on the other mm-hmm. end of the spectrum is this is a reminder to do everything you can possibly do to stay out of the hospital, mm-hmm. right? That has got to be our last resort. And again, for anyone that thinks that health is expensive or biohacking is expensive, I can tell you a trip to the hospital is going to be way worse. So spend the yeah. money now. Spend it now. Take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Yeah. Haven't gotten that hospital bill yet. We'll see. Um, for you and Ryan. For you, or maybe I you've got, gotten yours. I, I haven't got gotten mine. Ryan's in the mail yet. So um, I got mine. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It, ma- yeah. it makes those biohacks seem quite cheap. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. No idea. Yeah. yeah. And it's just interesting to look at that bill and go like, okay, they saved me. I got the transfusion, but, um, the, what they clocked for the doctor's visit, which was a three to four minute conversation mm-hmm. and still, you know, not even having this wide comprehensive critical thinking conversation. Like the conversation was the same every single time. You're not vegetarian. You don't have heavy, heavy periods, and then the, the it just ended. And I'm thinking of a million other questions that I would ask if I were in that situation. So to be charged an exorbitant amount of money for these just very black and white binary limiting conversations is quite frustrating. But 
Yeah. Just this to walk in the door. Coaches, just to walk in the door. We need emergency care. We need these doctors. I would not be here right now without them. Mm-hmm. But then we also need functional medicine and health coaches, all the intermediaries to continue the journey of healing and wellness. And so hopefully we don't end back up in there because I can see how there could be an endless cycle of people just going back into this emergency sick care system. So uh, at one point I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't be health coaching. What am I doing? I don't know anything. And by the end I was like, I am, this is why I got to do this. I feel very passionate about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. So, fired up, fired up. Yeah. 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 So thank you for letting right. me ramble on. I hope that was helpful. And if anyone has any residual questions or advice or anything, like share, 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 share. I'm open and um, won't be offended by anything. Promise. Definitely. All right. Is that a wrap? Let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in today and listening to our interesting stories, biohacking <laughs> stories, health stories. Um, but yeah, as always, you know, reach out to us, biohackerbabes at gmail.com or on Instagram, biohacker underscore babes. Um, would love to connect with you all. Want to hear your thoughts, questions, all that good stuff. And uh, I think that's a wrap. We will see you all next time. See you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.